Hello, ladies and gents. Welcome to Dear World Love Delilah, the quotable podcast with me, Darcy Lee, a moment meant to motivate, inspire, and empower. And I am super glad that you're here. So if you're joining me because you need the occasional reminder of your pure badassery or innate awesomeness, if you need help silencing that inner critic, getting through a tough day, want to be a part of a community of people who are dedicated to suiting up and showing up fully for their lives, or if you just want to be able to, at the end of it all, say, I did all I wanted to do with this life. I put it all on the table and I lived this life as fully, authentically, and courageously as I could, then welcome, because you, my friend, are in the right place. Every week, I will come here with something fun, fantastic, and authentic for you in all different ways. Some days, I'll bring you amazing people, some of whom you may have heard of because they are amazing out loud, and some of whom you need to hear of because their remarkable gifts are too good to be kept behind the curtain any longer. Other days, we may discuss an incredible book or share a beautiful idea that will help you truly live the life that you want to live. We will enjoy the fun things, tackle the difficult things, and together we will meet. We will dream, we will learn, and we will laugh. Together we will take this life by the horns and we will live it until the living is done. So my fellow rock stars, are you ready for an adventure? Here's to the journey. I am really excited. Let's do this. Dear world, I'm sending you so much warmth and light. Love, Delilah. I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Thomas A. Edison. <laughs> this has been on my heart as of late. Failure. I realize, uh, or I have realized lately that a theme that has come up for me over and over and over again in the last year or so is this idea of reframing. Reframing, challenging the way that we view a concept, an idea, uh, a thing. <laughs> you know, I used to get in trouble in English class for using the word thing. Fifth grade, Mrs. Grossman, uh, we couldn't use the word thing and she had a very specific way by which we had to flip through the dictionary. Um, yeah, she was no one's favorite teacher. At that age, she just seemed to be rigid and mean. Um, she was definitely not a nurturer. <laughs> but I understand now what she was trying to do. Uh, it's funny, the things that we remember, you know, the things that leave a lasting imprint. Uh, but surprise, surprise, I digress. Reframing, reframing, telling an old story in a new way. Um, sort of a what if. What if failing is not really failing at all? What if failing is really a process, a way to work towards success, an opportunity to grow, to find what works in a sea of what doesn't? What if the way I have looked at failure my whole life was wrong? You know, what if it was inaccurate? And what if the way I have looked at it has actually been so much of what's held me back, of what's gotten in my way? And then, too, what if reframing it, challenging it, 
can take me to a whole new level of living. Reframing could go everywhere. <laughs> I could go on and on about reframing, the what if. What if I began to look at nervousness as excitement? You know, what if discomfort is simply a space opening up for growth? Um, what if confusion simply means that I'm on the brink of a new understanding? You know, what if how others treat me as a reflection of who they are and not of who I am? What if abundance is not a luxury or a sign of greed, but instead a sign from the universe that you're actually on the right path, in part because abundance can be shared? You know, what if you can be an artist and be full? So many stories to retell. Uh, so many ideas that simply gained attraction and took over, not necessarily because they were true or because they were accurate, but because we bought into them. You know, we thought that they were true and accurate because they supported our fears and doubt, which at times just seemed so powerful, you know? So the story of failure is one that I've been thinking about lately. I'm 40, right? If you've listened to any of my other episodes, <laughs> you know I'm 40 because this is a big thing for me right now. And the truth is, like, I'm okay with 40. I was excited to turn 40. I've had a lot of excitement and beautiful beliefs surrounding 40. Um, and I think it's a pretty monumental age for many, right? It's significant. It's emotive, at least. Um, but <laughs> in two months, I'm turning 41. And I am not as excited about 41. And I haven't gotten everything done in 40 that I had, you know, dreamed and planned. And, you know, it, it's, it's a little different now for me. And if I'm being really honest, I'm not where I dreamt I would be right now. Uh, and I think that many of us might say that. Not everyone, you know, but many. Uh, I mean, are you? Are you where you thought you would be right now? So I've been thinking about this concept of failure in context of my own life, most definitely. Uh, but I've also been thinking about it in what it means in the context of your life, of the lives of those with whom my, my path crosses, uh, of those who ask for help or advice or, or permission or just need to know that they're not alone. I think about how often we're weighed down by our fear of it, of failure, how often it, this abstract relative concept, uh, can be the thing that paralyzes us into submission, the thing that makes our fears come true instead of our dreams, creating this self-fulfilled prophecy of sorts. And all of this, for most of us, for most of our lives without even challenging what we thought we would be and why and by whose standards we set uh, our own standards, you know, our own guidelines, our own expectations and limitations. Where did they come from? You know, uh, I think about what it means, you know, and what it is meant for me and even how I would define it. Uh, this thing called failure, because I feel like for me to better understand it for other people and to be more helpful in it and with it, um, with this idea and this concept and how it affects us, I do need to be honest with me. I need to be willing to be vulnerable and to look at it 
in my life. Um, so for me, this failure thing is definitely related to time. It's this feeling of, wow, I'm going to be 41 in two months. Like, what if I keep failing and run out of time? What if I don't accomplish what I came here to do? What if I, oh, this is, this is, what if I disappoint the universe? And for some people, it's absolutely, you know, what if I disappoint God? Never mind all the people in my life that I love that I might disappoint. You know, what if when I look back on life at the end, in the end, I've disappointed myself? And honestly, I've had this feeling my whole life, not just in this year, not just at this time, not just as I turned 40 or approached 41. I remember when I was in fifth grade, we had to write a book. Now, first, this is the same fifth grade class, actually, Mrs. Grossman's class, right? We were told we needed to write and illustrate a book, and then we even bound it. Um, it was a study in putting together a story, but the technical pieces, too, like where the illustrations and the text would fall before the book was folded and bound, all that good stuff. Now, I've known since I was nine years old that I wanted to write a book. I knew I wanted to write a book, right? And so, of course, I loved this. I loved this assignment. I've loved writing and drawing since I was, like, so little. <laughs> so this was right up my alley, right? A calling of sorts. I wrote this book, and I illustrated it, and I folded it and put it together and bound it, and I handed it in, and I got a C. I got a C. I don't remember if that was the first time that I had felt that I had failed, uh, the first time that I really felt I had fallen short, but it is the first time that I remember. It wasn't even the failure I remember or that was so significant to me. Um, it was my failure in contrast to my confidence, if that makes sense. It was the first time that I can remember that I was so sure of my success, so confident in my abilities, and then I was wrong. I remember just feeling so beaten. It wasn't that I didn't do as well as I had hoped or as I would like. It was that I was so confident that I would do so well and that I missed the mark by so much. God, just thinking about it makes my tight chest, my, ah, my chest tight. <sighs> I had failed. Um, I had failed myself and my dreams at 12 years old. That is sort of what I thought, that I had failed myself and my dreams, that I was a failure. And here's where I began to define myself in that way. And maybe more significant still is that it was a lesson in my inability to trust my abilities. This became an example of why I can't trust myself, why I couldn't be confident, why I couldn't be certain of anything. You know, it was this, this thing that I've dealt with my whole life of, yeah, like I feel really good about it, but oh, what if I'm wrong? Like, I have felt really good about it before and I've just not come through, you know? Um, it's so interesting, isn't it? Like how we can perceive such a minor setback, a subtle falling short. I mean, it wasn't even an F. 
Like, I didn't get an F. So I technically didn't even fail at all. I got a C, which is average, not failing. But I thought I would get an A. I thought I would knock it out of the park. I thought I was above average, that I had an advantage because I already knew that I wanted to write a book. I already loved to draw. This was my chance, 12 years old, and I labeled myself a failure because of a C. And you know what? So I've known since I was nine years old that I wanted to write a book. You know how many books I've written? None. Because there is still this small part of me that thinks that I can't. And the part of me that believes that maybe, just maybe I actually can, is afraid it will be a C book. Or a book that nobody will buy or read. And then, deeper than that, if I do write a book that no one buys or read, that there lies my value. That is what will define me. No matter how many other beautiful successes I've achieved, my failure, as I define it, of course, is the truth of me. It is so crazy how our minds work. It is so interesting. These memories we hold and these stories that we create around them, the stories that we embrace as understanding or wisdom, unknowingly selling ourselves short every single day, unknowingly embracing only a single possibility of many, a single translation of a complex text, and we buy into it. We buy into it because it supports all the other stories we have told ourselves over the years. It is so interesting. And I'm going to throw in this in there real quick because it just, and I'm not going to keep going on it because I feel like it's a whole other topic, but I've heard recently and I love it that action is the antidote anecdote no antidote <laughs> action is the antidote to fear um so in other words i just need to write the damn book <laughs> but we'll get to that a whole nother time <laughs> so um what i love about life and language and learning and growing is our ability to redefine uh, the frustration of language is that it can, no matter how hard we try to expand on it, it can be very limiting. Sometimes the right words just don't exist, right? But with that, we also get to enjoy the way our use of language can be fluid, uh, the way that words can be changed and used in different ways. Now, I should actually say that I have a real love-hate relationship with this idea the fluidity of language, of words, because while I think it's incredible and fun and a place to be creative and brave, it also is sort of hard for me. I love that it provides us with this sort of creative freedom and creative connectedness and this kind of anything's possible way of connecting and communicating with others, but it also makes me feel like everything is all flippy floppy. <laughs> like there's no solid ground to stand on, you know? Does that make sense? Like the way uh, the idea of truth being objective might make some religious fo folks a little squirmy, right? This sort of, oh, how dare you? Or there might be that, you know, dare I say more than one way to do something or look at something or view something or whatever. And so when we get honest, that feeling, that gasp, that how dare you, the reaction to subjectivism, subjectivism, 
for those of us subject, you know, things being subjective, <laughs> uh, and the change that inevitably accompanies that, it can be pretty intense. And that's not a cut on religious figures for whom subjectiveness makes you squirmy. Like, there, I'm just saying that I can relate. <laughs> I can relate in a different way, in a different place. Um, because for me, that is what flexibility and language can do. It can be pretty intense. Uh, and I know this because, <laughs> because it's exactly how I felt when I found out that the powers that be have added a meaning to the word literally, a new meaning that actually contradicts its original meaning. So now one meaning of literally is virtually metaphorical to add emphasis. Literal no longer has to mean literal at all. It hurts my heart. <laughs> I'm not happy about it. I know. I think I've even talked about it before. Like, I know it can seem petty, but it makes me want to scream. And when I get honest with myself, it really is because it feels like I'm standing on unsturdy ground, you know? It's not just about the word literal. It's not like I just had this real big place in my heart for the word literal. It's just that literal had such a specific meaning and they've changed it. And now it's like muddy, you know, and it makes me feel unsteady. Um, yeah, <laughs> it makes me think of Princess Bride. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Oh, okay. I digress again. Um, the point is, I think it's really important to ask, what is failing really? What is failing really? I had a definition of it beginning at the age of 12. That was basically failure is not being perfect the first time, or that failure is not being perfect, period. I think that I spent a large part of my life feeling like to be human was to fail. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, but that to be extraordinary all of the time was what I had to do to succeed. But then again, I had no real idea of what success meant to me. Only what it meant to society. Only what it meant to the church or to my peers. And according to those definitions, I was not only constantly on the verge of failure, but I was surrounded by failures, surrounded by people who other people looked at with disdain and judgment because according to society, according to the church, according to my peers, they were not where they were supposed to be or doing what they were supposed to be doing. Um, I remember I was about seven or eight years old. I was part of the Catholic church. I was in CCD and the priest told me, seven or eight years old, that my mother was going to hell because she believed in reincarnation, right? So here I am looking at my mom as like the ultimate failure. Now this didn't, when I get honest, like it didn't turn me against my mom, it turned me against the priest and the church. Um, it was like that first little seed that was planted that said to me, something's not right here. But I looked at this woman who I love and respect and then realized that like as much as I love and respect her, she's still a failure. 
<laughs> because of one simple belief. I mean, it's unbelievable how our brain works and how we interact with each other in this society. It just is mind-blowing to me sometimes. Um, it's just crazy. And then how it goes even a little bit further, because for me, I think that somewhere in some way, failure uh, and its synonym, imperfection, translated to unlovable. And I think that's why I was drawn to this quote and why I wanted to talk a little bit about it. Where do we say we have failed? What size does the failure have to be to count as a failure versus a speed bump or a wrong turn? And I swear, I don't mean to be all swervy, but I can't help. <laughs> I can't help but then ask, like, is it a wrong turn just because I didn't mean to make it? Or because making that turn wasn't part of my original plan? See, because that, that gets really deep, right? Because here's what I think. First, I think that the word failure is one of the most dangerous words in the English language. It's right up there with the words should and shouldn't. Some words and our definitions of them really are dangerous, destructive, and I feel like it's important to acknowledge that. Not that a word in of itself is dangerous, right? Just like a gun, it's not intrinsic, intrinsically dangerous or bad. A gun is an inanimate object that has no power outside of how it is used. Um, however, there is something to say about how we as humans tend to use things, and we can't ignore that. Now, this is not an argument for or against gun control at all. This is just a way of saying that words are very much the same way. They have no power but the power that they are assigned, but we as humans tend to assign them in ways that are destructive and hurtful. Uh, so I'm going to put this out there. What And it goes with that question, you know, is a turn a wrong turn if I didn't mean to make it? Um, what if the word failure, or our definition of it, our most common use of it, is so destructive or counterproductive perhaps because it leaves spirituality out? I think that failure is a finite concept that we as infinite beings, infinite energies have been conditioned to use as a ruler or as a measuring stick for a concept that it's extremely subjective at best and in a way does not account for our creative abilities or our connection to the universe or our maker or even our best and most powerful selves. What if failure is not failure at all but small successes in finding our true path, our, our biggest selves? What if failure is not failure at all, but simply a speed bump that, um, if heated, you know, uh, if, if we do slow down, it gives us a reason to slow, and it allows us to see something beautiful and perfect and life-altering that we would have missed have we sped through it like we planned. A detour that brought us to something beautiful and real and true that we would have missed if we stayed on our original course. Right? A loss that brought us to something beautiful, real, and true that we would have missed if we stayed in line with the winning bracket. What if we... Just what if 
I have not failed at all, but instead I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Why is that such a difficult what if to embrace? I got a phone call from my little cousin today. (laughs) She is seriously one of my favorite people in the whole world. Like, She is honestly one of those people I feel honored to have in my life. How cool is it that the universe made us family? That is how I feel about her. She brings so much joy and laughter and authenticity to every space that she walks into. Um, Just super comfortable in her own skin and ah, I just love this young woman and I'm really grateful that like, she was born into my life, you know? Um, and she called because someone she loves recently came to the conclusion that he might be an alcoholic. He almost lost his life in a car wreck on Memorial Day. Got a DUI, landed in the hospital. He's still not fully recovered, um, but he's on the mend. And she sent me a text uh, that said I need some advice. And so we talked on the phone And uh, she said, what do I do? You know, we talked for about 30 minutes and it was such a great conversation. Um, But the point is, why me? Like, why did she call me? Sure, I am super smart (laughs) and a joy to talk to. (laughs) But that runs in our family. So (laughs) there are others that she could have called, right? But she called me. And one of the biggest reasons she called me is because I know alcoholism. I know addiction. She called me because one of my biggest quote unquote failures is absolutely one of my greatest assets. See, one of the reasons that I fell behind schedule, right, not as accomplished or successful as I plan to be at this age is because I spent a lot of time flailing in the grips of addiction. I spent a lot of time, what I thought was failing over and over again, breaking, falling apart, trying to put myself together again, and then crumbling. I don't think that looks like success by anyone's standards. I think that's a pretty fair bet. Um, Many would say that success came later when I got sober. That's the popular point of view. But what if, I was successful long before I got sober. What if I was successful time after time in figuring out what wouldn't work, what won't work? And what if I did that in a way, like what if that was part of my calling so that others don't have to? What if I was successful in finding parts of me that I would never have seen had I not fallen apart, had I not crumbled? Because they were buried in me, right? They were buried in a me of which I had only previously had access to the surface. Does that make sense? I don't know if that was a grammatically correct sentence. Like, because of my breaking, because of my falling apart, because of my constant crumbling, I was able to start reaching pieces of me um, that I would not have reached otherwise because I only had access before that to a surface me, whether it be a mask, you know, a facade, um, or just even like 
the me that I knew because it was what was presented to the world, you know? What if I wasn't wasting time at all, but was right where I was supposed to be then? And then again, in the falling apart of me, what if I was right where I was supposed to be then? Because is it not possible that success can be also defined by the moment that I was able to answer the phone for one of my absolute favorite people in the world and be helpful. So what if I have never failed? Ever. Not really. Right? Or even better, that I failed over and over again and that failure is a beautiful, beautiful thing. That it does not mean what you think it means. What if I am exactly where I'm supposed to be, no matter where I hope or had hoped that I would be? What if, what if our best self, our highest self, the universe, God, whatever, whatever, what if that entity, that thing, that being really believes now that we are perfect and that we are exactly where we are supposed to be in this moment? And then, and this is huge for me, and then when we think we are not, when we think we are not where we're supposed to be, but that we should be somewhere else, doing something else, being something else, how often is it our voice and our voice alone that is telling that story? Does that make sense? Are you following me? Because I know I'm all over the place, but... Is it me telling myself that I'm a failure or is it me listening to the stories that have existed for centuries long before I got here and that will exist long after my time on this earth is done? Stories that have been passed along in fear and in doubt and in moments of uncertainty, in moments of unclarity. Is unclarity a word? I don't think that's a word, but I do think that you know what I mean. (laughs) What if we are living out a story that only appears real because we have lived it out. Ah, it's a lot, right? And I know ah, it can be a lot to sort through. But the point is, like, sometimes even that's the point. Acknowledging that it can be a lot to sort through. That there's not just one way. That there's not just, you know, the truth isn't only in this belief that we've held for so long. The point is, there are so many possibilities. Why do we focus on one? And why is the one that we focus, why does it tend to be the one that tells us we're not enough? We're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're not, you know, successful enough. We're not rich enough. Why is that where we stop? Where we land? So you, what if you are exactly where you're supposed to be? What if you are a beautiful success? Even if you want to be more so or differently so or or more fully so. But what if you are a work in progress instead of any type of failure? And a masterpiece in your imperfections and where you feel you fall short, right? Like simultaneously. What if where you are now is exactly where you're supposed to be in order to get where you're meant to be going, right? Right? which may or may not be the same as what you've pictured for yourself. What if you've not failed at anything, but you've succeeded over and over in finding your truth and finding your purpose, 
finding your gifts, your talents, your strengths, and finding, too, what is not meant for you. I know that I am not exactly where I want to be. I do. Like, the life I'm living is not the one that I pictured for myself for right now. <laughs> but another truth is that I have pictured hundreds of different lives for myself, many of which I am really grateful didn't happen. <laughs> right? So, yeah, like, I'm not exactly where I want to be. But there are times when I have this conversation with my mom or sometimes with my husband about how little I feel I've accomplished or about how far off my path I feel like I am. And their response is almost always, what are you talking about? And then it's followed by a list of things that I've done, that I've accomplished, that I've given and that I've received. And then I'm reminded again that failure and success are so relative. We have people in our lives that are so proud of us, right? Who look up to us and admire what we've done and where we've been and what we've seen. And then I have conversations with people like my little incredible cousin. And this surprising thought comes to mind. Comes to mind. Thank God I fell. Thank God I struggled. Thank God I was not this sort of standardized version of success that I hoped that I would be at that age because there's a good chance that if I had skipped all of those times in my life that I had previously labeled as failures, I may never have gotten that call from one of my very favorite people in this world. I may never have been able to talk and laugh with one of those people that just bring me such joy this morning. I may not have had anything real to offer in a situation that for her was very, very real and difficult and complicated. And I was reminded yet again that I am right where I'm supposed to be. And then too, as I work toward where I want to be, I can, I can sort of enjoy the journey a little bit more, relax a little bit, trust the process, and be excited about what is to come. So I am going to dare to say that I have not failed. I have not failed, not once. I have simply successfully found what does not work for me on several occasions, in several ways, in several times of my life. And I am better for it. I'm better for it. I'm better for me. And I'm better for the ones that I love. And I'll take it. I'll take that. <sighs> All right, friends, here is where we will end this episode of Dear World, Love, Delilah. Thank you so, so much for being here. I will say it today and I will say it every single episode. You are the reason I do this and you are the reason that I get to do this. I'm having so much fun here and I'm really, really grateful to be able to spend this time with you. Seriously, thank you for this and for all the love that you give me between episodes each week, the emails, the Facebook messages, the love that you give me on social media and the reviews you leave on iTunes. You guys are rock stars and I'm just super fortunate that I get to be in the band. So with that, if you liked this episode, if you feel like it had bits of juicy, yummy goodness that can help someone you know, someone you care about, then I hope you'll take a moment and share it. Share it on Facebook or on Instagram, tell a friend, and then maybe take another moment to leave a review on iTunes. 
These little actions make a huge difference for me and my team. Sharing is caring, and every little bit helps. Also, if you haven't gotten your hands on my free 10-page e-guide to taking small steps to making big changes in your life, and you want that e-guide, of course you want it, it's free and it's awesome, just go to darcylee.com and get it there. I wrote it for those of you who, like me, know in your heart of hearts that there is more for you, that you want to do more, that you're capable of more. And while the idea of more or better is exciting, the idea of where to begin can be overwhelming. I get it. So the e-guide is just about starting with some small steps, which will yield some really big results. I hope it helps. And if it does, if you read it and like it, then maybe you'll send a friend or loved one to my site, DarcyLee.com, so that they can get their hands on it too. Oh, and a little something extra. One of my other little side passions is all things paper all the paper and hot glue and fabric and buttons. But mostly and most passionately, I create paper flowers. Uh, and I've created a page where we can all play with some of that stuff together. So if you want to check any of that out, you can go to facebook.com slash all the whimsy. That's W-H-I-M-S-Y. And if you're interested in an online book club, then you can go to my other page, uh, which is at Dear Delilah XO on Facebook, uh, or you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash read, share, slay book club, and you can join us there. We would love to have you. All right, so before signing off, I want to give a special thanks to my badass executive producer, Wayne Renbure, without whom I'd be lost, and also to my dad, who just joined my team. And of course, I want to thank you one more time for being here. I truly hope you got something you needed, and I can't wait to be here with you again next week. So with that, dear world, I'm sending you so many hugs and kisses. Love, Delilah. <laughs>